Good morning. My name is Pastor Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here and um, got, got a chance to get a little bit of uh, vacation over the summer and then come back to Bakersfield when it got nice and cool. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have started something this year and we, we had an opportunity, Pastor Mark had an opportunity to do this last week and it's, uh, it's something we call Preach Your Journal and what we've Asked whenever we have uh, one of these Sundays on our calendar, is that the preaching pastor would open up their prayer journal and they'd look back uh, over the last few weeks or months and look at where and how God has been working in their personal life, uh, where God's been teaching them, where God's been encouraging them, where God has been transforming them, and then be vulnerable enough to write all that out and come up in front of everybody on a Sunday morning and talk about those things. And so each time we do uh, one of these, I wanna remind you about a couple things. Uh, The the main one is this, it's uh, your job to kind of listen to what's going on in the preacher's life and then find those areas where uh, through the work of scripture and the Holy Spirit, God can encourage and convict you. And last week we did this and Pastor Mark had an opportunity to talk about gospel culture and what he's learned. Uh, and I thought, man, that is, um, I was encouraged. How about that? I was very encouraged by getting to hear other people's stories. We'll talk about that a little bit today, uh, hearing other people's stories. Um, but when I, when I picked this topic, I, I just named, I didn't know what to title this thing. So I just, I named it, I Want More. I Want More. It's a very American title, right? <clears throat> I Want More. Do you ever feel like almost... Almost like this overwhelming sort of dissatisfaction in life, contentment. Like, like where you're at or what you're doing or what's going on around you is just not right. Like it's not enough. Like uh, it's not in- inspiring. You're not thriving. You're merely, you're merely surviving. Like there has to be something more than where you're at today and what you've experienced and what life feels like. In fact, maybe, maybe when you've been in that or are in that, it, it's, it's not even something that you feel like you can put into words. And, and I believe that that feeling is right at the heart of the human condition. And that every single one of us suffers from it. And to show you how really prevalent it is, uh, I actually want to show you a trailer from a Hollywood movie from about 10 years ago. And it's about a guy who is facing this type of feeling in his life. It's a really cute movie. And so for just a couple minutes, I want you to watch this trailer and open up your kind of imagination. uh, And you'll probably get some chuckles out of it. And just see if you can relate to this. Watch this. So this is a a secular movie, and so of course the answer to the riddle of the human condition, according to Hollywood, is you just need to travel more and have more adventure. But I want to double down on this theory. See, I I want to submit to you that that everybody at some point in their life, and maybe even right now, feels this way. Like you you feel like uh, something's not right. There should be more. This life can't be just what I'm experiencing today. And 
Unless we we cover it up with busyness, unless we cover it up with with other things and distract ourselves with the noise of life or self-medicate it with drugs or with alcohol or or tell ourselves that we can fix it with with a new relationship or or travel or something exotic or more money or a better job or, or something, we just deep at the center of every human heart is this intense need for God. And since we were cast out of the garden, we've been trying to fill it and not understanding why we can't. We eat and eat and eat, and yet we're still hungry. We drink and drink and drink, and yet we're still thirsty. We try every human endeavor only to find it vanity. King Solomon figured this out in Ecclesiastes. He writes in Ecclesiastes 1, Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. How depressing. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Consider for a moment that King Solomon, the richest man to ever live, the wisest man to ever live, the, a massive empire that spanned across the continents. He lived an exotic life full of everything, hundreds of wives and concubines, military successes, a builder, a leader, accomplished, famous, adored, wealthy, and yet seemingly hopeless, dissatisfied. Everything is vanity. Everything is useless. Every human endeavor is hopeless and meaningless. You ever felt like that? Had moments like that? I want to talk specifically today about the Christian life. Because yes... Jesus came to pay for our sin, to free us from the penalty of it, but he came for more than just saving us from hell. It's true that his blood saves us from God's judgment and his wrath. It's true. But if we stop there, simply at removing the punishment, we miss the beauty of what Jesus has done and will do in our lives, in this world, not just the next one. You see, only through Jesus do we have restored relationship with the Father, and only because of Jesus is there a possibility of fixing this thing that seems like it's missing. Jesus desires for you and I to live a life that is more in line with the way we were created in the first place which is a life in constant relationship with the creator. We need it because we were designed for it. Jesus wants us to thrive. Jesus wants us to thrive. I want you to say this. Jesus wants me to thrive. What does thrive mean? John 10, 10, Jesus says this. He's actually talking to the Pharisees and he's using some illustrations that they would understand. And then he says this, the thief 
comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen to Jesus again in John 7, 37 and 38. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 4 Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it of himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This is the woman at the well. And Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus wants me to thrive. He wants more. Now part of our problem, you and I, is that we think of thrive in human terms. We primarily think of of thriving as circumstances and control. In our minds, we, we... We commonly think of circumstances in control, or I could say it even easier, comfort and money. Comfort and money. We want to emotionally feel good, and these are the two areas that allow us the most control over our comfort and our control. We we want comfort and money, comfort and money, comfort and money, because we think that we can control emotions from those two things. And here's the problem is that because of that, both of those things in our life very quickly become idols that we worship. Let let, let me prove to you that Jesus, when he says, I want more for you, when he, I want more for you, Daniel, I want more for you. I want you to thrive. He does not mean circumstances or money. And I know you've been told otherwise because you can turn on the TV and find some pastor somewhere telling you that. Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He don't mean money. You are not promised money on this earth. John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As a believer, thriving does not mean money. You're not guaranteed money. You're not guaranteed worldly riches. In fact, Jesus would tell you that worldly riches, because of the the, the frequency with which they will tempt us into idolatry, are actually going to make it harder for you to seek Jesus. And you're not promised comfortable circumstances. In fact, Jesus promises you uncomfortable circumstances. So so if you turn on uh, some Twitter stream and there's some guy telling you that, man, if you'll just have more faith, Jesus is going to give you money, they're lying to you. So what does thrive mean? If it doesn't mean that circumstances are going to get better, they're not. If it doesn't mean I'm going to win the lottery tomorrow, you're probably not. Let's just go with the odds here. 
I'm like, Jesus, if I could just win the lotto, let me tell you why the odds of me winning the lotto are really bad. I don't play it. (laughs) Those are amazing odds. (laughs) So if abundance, if thriving is not cash and possessions and comfort, then what, what is it that would fix this feeling that I have? Many of Jesus' followers lived in poverty, abject poverty. Many faced massive trials, persecution. I mean, to the, to the point of dying deaths as martyrs. So, so whatever abundance is, it must transcend circumstances like income and health and living conditions and even death. Abundance can't be those things. Not according to Jesus. Abundance includes Peace, it's a quote I read, I really liked it. Abundance includes peace, purpose, destiny. A genuine purpose for living. The joy of facing any adversity, including the grave, without fear. And the ability to endure hardship with confident assurance. I want to look at those six things. I'm going to put them up on, on the screen for you. I just want you to consider these six things. This, this definition of abundance, of thriving, for just a moment. Because we've got to get this definition right. Peace, purpose, destiny, joy, fearlessness, and confidence. Peace, purpose, destiny, joy, fearlessness, and confidence. For just a minute, close your eyes. Would you like to live a life that included waking up every day with peace, with purpose of what my day and my life is about, with destiny that I know that there is something in store for me greater than even what I can see, with joy overwhelming and overflowing that I'm alive and for what I've been given and what has been done for me, with a fearlessness to walk out into a broken world and not worry one bit about what's going on around me because of the Savior that has saved me and with the confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. That's thriving. That's abundance in the Bible. And I just consider for a moment that, that these things, just leave them on the screen. Consider that you, these things cannot be bought. No, no, amount, of, no amount of money is going to buy peace, destiny, purpose. They can't be manufactured in a factory. I don't care if it's in China or in America. You can't manufacture them. You know what? You can't actually even fake these things very long. You can pretend to be at peace for a little while, but not for very long. You You could trick yourself into thinking that you have contentment and purpose for a little while, but not for very long. They can't be transferred or inherited. I, I can't, my, my parents can't just like store it up as a trust fund and give it to me. I can't get it from somebody else. I can't borrow it. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. I can't make it. It can't be saved away and stored in a vault somewhere. Peace, purpose, destiny, joy, fearlessness, and confidence. 
They, these, these six attributes of abundance or thriving, they ignore socioeconomic differences. They ignore political differences. They ignore cultural differences. They ignore historical differences. They have no regard for any of those things that we say are important. So how do we get them? How do we get them? How do we hold on to them? There's two parts of getting abundance in the Bible. And they're related, but they're different. The first is how you get them in the first place, and the second is how you walk in them. How do I get them in the first place? Well, it's about the shepherd. But go back to John 10, where I read that first verse from about Jesus talking about abundance. And this is how that starts in verse 7. John 10, 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Let's just be really honest. No one ever says that. That's not a word. What is a door of a sheep? I don't know if you've seen any sheep lately, but they don't have doors. They have legs, fur, they bite, but like that wool. They don't, they don't, they don't have doors, right? I am, the, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Jesus is describing a sheepfold, which none of us probably have ever seen. Shepherds would take their, their flocks out to graze them, and then at night they had to protect them from predators. And so they would find these natural folds usually, or sometimes they, were, they would build them uh, with wood or with rock. And basically, they were, they were pens, but they were tall walls or barriers to keep enemies out. And then there was one entrance, a very narrow entrance, but, but they didn't have swinging doors. They didn't have gates. They didn't have locks. The shepherd would lay down in the opening all night. What is Jesus saying? I'm the door. I'm the door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Every person in your life, in your history, who has offered you some version of abundance that doesn't have Jesus is lying or misled. Because there's only one door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find Pasture, abundance, thriving, life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Real contentment is found in how trustworthy the shepherd is and how much we trust him. Jesus lays in the opening of the fold because he is the gate. So, so, so the first part of finding abundance is simply finding Jesus. It's simply finding Jesus. This is the gospel, that there is no contentment outside of Christ. There is no path to relationship with God outside of Christ. That the human heart longs for things to be put right and only Jesus coming in the flesh as a man living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we were supposed to die, made a way. It's the gospel. 
But for many of you, like me in my prayer journal, you're thinking, I'm already saved. I already found Jesus. So why doesn't it feel like it did right after I found Jesus? Here's my question. Um, Anybody, anybody, maybe you don't even remember it. Maybe you just met someone recently who's come to Christ and they're just, they're out of their mind with joy. Amen? Have we met that person? There's some of them still around right now, like in our church. You've probably met them. If you haven't, you should, because they're going to encourage you. But like, they just don't have anything bad to say because they can't find anything bad with the world because Jesus is just everywhere. Right? And, and, and some of you, because you've been saved like I have for a long, long time, you, you kind of remember that. Like if you, if you think back a little while, you remember that there was probably a time in your life when it felt like that. But now you're wondering, why don't I feel like that right now? Why don't I feel like that right now? Because there's, I, if we're being honest, if we're looking at our prayer journal, if we're looking at our life, we're doing a little self-inventory, if we're thinking about how we feel, there's just a lot of times where we don't feel like we're swimming in peace, purpose, destiny, joy, fearlessness, and confidence. Amen? I think it's safe to admit that there's times where we can logically see this, right? We can, we can remember a time where we felt that way, and we can maybe even point to times in our life when we felt that way, but also admit that I just don't feel that way right now. Like, it feels like an intellectual exercise. You ever, you ever opened up an old photo album and looked at a picture of yourself and been like, did I really look like that? Normally, it's with really bad hair, right? Or just more hair. And you almost have to remind yourself that you look, you're like, oh, wow, that was, man, I, I was a lot thinner. And, and at times it feels like that in the Christian life. You're going, look, I, I intellectually, I academically sort of, I logically know that I felt like that at one point, but I don't understand why I don't feel like that now. What's wrong? Like, I know I'm saved, but is this it? Is this the Christian life? Because there was a day, there was a day that I can still remember where it felt vibrant and inspiring and almost intoxicating and just otherworldly where I would have followed Jesus to the end of the earth and I wouldn't even ask how. I would have given up anything for him. I just wanted to be around Jesus and used by Jesus and I just wanted to hear from God. And nothing else mattered, so why don't I feel like that now? And how do I get back to that? Amen? How do I get back there? Because I, I don't think Jesus intended for me to feel like this. Here's why. I don't think Jesus in, intended for me to feel like this. I want to read you a story from Acts. And I want, you to read, I want to read you a story where people are thriving Regardless of circumstances and, and money and, and control and, and, and comfort and what's going on in their life. This is Acts 16, verse 19. But when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, because Paul and Silas threw demons out of this uh, girl that they were making money off of, <clears throat> backstory, 
They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. False accusation. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice, a lie. The crowd joined in attacking them, beating them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Already sounding like very cool weekend, right? That's what we're all hoping to do before school started. Keep going. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, the worst part, and fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't want to be beaten. I'd rather not be thrown into the market square. I'm really not interested in the innermost part of the prison or being put in stocks. But man, do I want whatever they have. What does it take for God to work in me to where in those circumstances, all I can think about is praising God? Because that's thriving where the circumstances don't matter enough to even stop my praise session at midnight. To be beaten for your faith, jailed, thrown in stocks, falsely accused, and your response is joy and praise, peace, purpose, destiny, joy, fearlessness, and confidence. How, how, how? It's one thing for us to come to the point in our life where we know we need Jesus. That's, that's salvation. That's the gospel. God has awakened our soul, and we see it. We see the broken world. We see our broken self. We see our helpless self. We see the need for Jesus. We cling to him. But now what? Because this is my prayer journal. And we're, we're going to open up my prayer journal. It's, I want to live this life all the time. I want to thrive. I want, I want more. I don't want to be satisfied with this just routine of just going along in comfort in the American Christian life. Three things. I'm going to give you three things today. These are your takeaways. This is your, your application time. Number one, thriving is not a thing that happens to you, it's a thing that happens in you. This is really, really important. This is how we separate what God is doing in our life from our circumstances, from how much money we have, from what we're earning, from how much control we have over the the things in our life, from the people that are around us, from, from who's president or who's governor or what. Listen, thriving is not a thing that happens to you. It's a thing that happens in you. All of those verses we read where Jesus is describing this, he says, it's gonna bubble up from inside of you and overflow. John 15, verse 4. This is Jesus. He's trying to explain this. 
abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? How much? Not a little bit, not not 50%, not I'll do my part and you do yours, Jesus. Nothing, hopelessness, vanity, uselessness. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. You ever feel like life is just you withering? I do. Why? I forgot where all the power comes from. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned because they're useless. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to abide in Jesus' love so that we bear fruit, so that there is this, this welling up of water that Jesus talks about from inside us that doesn't just give us satisfaction, that doesn't just give us contentment and peace and fearlessness, that doesn't just give us this hope, but it overflows all around us so that everyone that that comes into contact with us has no choice but to see it and be impacted by it, like like Paul and Silas in prison singing hymns, and, and, and they're bearing so much fruit in this abiding in Jesus that other prisoners are impacted by it, that the jailer ends up being impacted by it. Well, how, how, do I, how do I go about that? Here's the first thing we've got to get to. It's not a set of rules. It's not a set of rules. The Christian life is not a set of rules. We, we get tricked all the time. We, we look back at the Old Testament and we think there were, there were rules in the Old Testament. The Jews did this too, right? They took the Ten Commandments and they turned them into like 450 different rules. If I, could, if I could just create a set of, te- of check boxes and then I could, I could do those, check those boxes, just enough of those, then I would thrive. Wrong! It doesn't work at all. In fact, it works the opposite way. The moment you start creating check boxes and you think that you somehow earned something from God and then now he owes you something, you're not thriving anymore. Actually, you start being very discontented and dissatisfied because you keep failing. And the more you fail, the more you go, wow, this is terrible. I can't keep up. Or worse, we start lying to ourselves about how my check boxes are better than that other person's check boxes, and at least I'm not as bad as they are. No one's ever experienced that, right? No. No. So, so what do we got to do? How, how then? How? How, how, do I, how do I look around life and go, man, this doesn't feel right, and I want to remember what it looked like to live this vibrant life, and I want to do it, but where's the formula? Where's the check boxes? Someone tell me how to get there. 
two things. Let's read them. First one's in Hebrews 10, 24. You ready? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love the language because it's proactive, okay? It's something you and I can do. It's like a checkbox. I love checkboxes. We can stir one another up into good works and love. Now, just think about this. Why would we have to be stirred up? Because we're, we're prone, that's right, we're prone to stuff stops moving and starts to settle. You know what I mean? Someone said like lemonade. If, you, if you've ever not stirred something that should be stirred and tried to drink it, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. sometimes it does not taste very good. You ever had like your three-year-old make you lemonade? Do you know what I'm saying? Why would we have to be stirred? Because we have this tendency to stop and get sedentary, to settle down into comfort. And yet the Bible's like, no, 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 no. Not comfortable, not settling, stirred up. And who does the stirring up? We do with one another. It's the, the purpose of the Sunday gathering as we worship the Father. The reason we do this together is to stir up one another and encourage one another. Think about this. Stir up and courage. Um, where, where in there is impress God with my new preaching shoes? I mean, they are impressive. But. That's not in there. Where in there is a, we got to sing the right songs. We got to sit in the right place. We got to have the right kind of attendance. That, none, of the, none of those are in there. You know what's in there? Encourage one another. Impact one another. Stir one another up. This is why online church is so hard for us. It is so hard. Why? Because I, I don't know how to take you from your living room and have you encourage someone. You gotta be really active in chat. That's all I'm gonna say. Like you should be really spamming that thing. Man, I love you guys. Can't wait to see you. Like, something. Because the whole purpose of this is stirring one another up. There is one of the best sermons I've ever heard. I hand it out all the time. I sent it to my small group last week. It's called Stirring Your Affections for Jesus by Matt Chandler. It's one of his favorite topics. He's got to have preached this sermon like I don't know how many times at different places. It is so good. It's so good. Here's what, here's what they are. There are specific things for all of us that stir us up. They encourage us. They make us more passionate. They, they fix our eyes back on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And they're different. Like these talented musicians, we have a lot of talented musicians in our church. They could sit down and begin to write a song, right? And it begins to just begin to stir up a passion for Jesus in them. If I attempted to sit down and write a song, it's not stirring up anything good. <laughs> Maybe some neighbors who have some complaints. That's not for me. But you know what is for me? Other people's crazy God stories about how God is working on their behalf. Mufasa. You know what I mean? Like all the hair stands up on my forearm. Like, really? Like it stirs up affection in me for Jesus. 
You know what else is one for me? Reflecting on God's faithfulness to me when I was not faithful. When I open up my prayer journal and I look back and I'm like, oh, he answered that prayer too. Oh, I shouldn't even ask that and he answered that prayer. It stirs up in me. It, it, it takes what I know intellectually and brings it back to a heart, passion, emotional level instead of simply an academic one. Does that make sense? Because we're human. This is what we do. We know it, but we don't live it. There are things in my life that stir up my affection for Jesus. One of them that I recently realized had really begun to be powerful in my life was having an opportunity when I'm sharing in a group or in a conversation to articulate explain something out loud that God is impressing on me internally. So, so when I'm thinking about something and then I get to explain it to somebody, I notice that God is really, he begins to work on me in the process of me actually sharing that with somebody else. And I'm like, oh, I've got to do that more. There's certain praise songs that for me just, just stir up my affection. You guys have some favorite songs? There, there's some songs that just... That song, um, I Am Who You Say I Am, oh, I will messy cry all over the place. There's just, just some emotive things. Taking a really small bit of scripture and just, just getting to study it and study it and sit on it and kind of put it away and think about it and ask God a question and let him, talk. Like, like, there are just some things. These are my things. They may not be your things. For some of you, they're different, right? For some of you, it's, it's getting to serve someone else. Like, like the tangible, physical act of serving somebody with your hands and getting to see them and getting to, to impact them and see the joy on their face stirs your affection. Here's what I'm trying to submit to you. We all have some, they're not the same, and here's the critical part, you have to know what yours are. You have to, you have to figure it out, you have to work on it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you how, this is gonna be helpful, I hope, but then once you know what they are, here's the really tough part, you gotta do them, right? Two people, right? You gotta do them. Okay, let, let me tell you where I, I hear this all the time and I try not to chuckle because I, I know what the person's trying to communicate and we just haven't made it all the way there. I'll have someone come to me and they'll say, Pastor, we just have to do blank, okay? And blank is always, almost always, a recreation of a ministry from 15, 20, 30 years ago. Now here's what they're trying, most of the time, here's what they're trying to say, okay? I want, you to, I want you to hear this with a lot of grace. What they're trying to say is, Pastor, I remember a time in which my affection was, for Jesus was so stirred up and it was so on fire and it was so overwhelming, it was so overflowing, and I just want to get back there. Do you hear that? And what they're saying is, if the, if the church would just start that ministry, it might happen again. And, I, and I, what I want you to do is I want you to take that, that, that thought, that feeling, I want you to pull it apart and say, the next step in that concept right there is really important. If you would look at what happened in that moment, in that ministry, in that season that stirred your affection, it would be some clues for you personally about the things that really impact your life pursuing Christ. Amen? 
So there's honorable things in even sometimes what sounds like a complaint because in it is, I just want to feel that contentment again. Yes, that's good. Here's my question for you. Do you know what yours are? You don't need to answer yet. But I want to submit to you, it is so critical. Let me tell you why it's critical. Let me just give you an analogy that maybe will help. Imagine, those of you that are married, imagine not knowing something that would stir up positive emotion in your marital relationship. Could you imagine how that might not be good? Like you realize things are a little bit stale, you need to what? You need to do some things that your spouse will respond positively to, right? None of you, well, we're gonna do a marriage conference soon. <laughs> Wasn't expecting the silence. Maybe there's some sharp elbows, I don't know, okay. Because in that relationship, you have a realization that even, even though you, you love one another, and even though you, you're married, and even though you're committed to one another, there's a difference between some days and other days, right? Right? Right. And so we learn what it takes to stoke f- the fire in that relationship, to stoke the flames in that relationship in the same way. We have to know what it takes to, to begin to stir up our affection for Jesus. And if we're not sure, let's try something that's not sinful. <clears throat> Pastor caveats. Let's try something, right? Let's, let's begin to work on it. Let's begin to try things. Let's begin to talk about it in our small groups and in our community and with our neighbors and begin to investigate what that looks like. Okay, so number one, it's not something that happens to you. It's something that happens in you. Number two, we, we need to insert into our lives affection stirrers, Right? We want to start doing things that increase our affection for Jesus. We want to start doing things that stir up our passion for the Lord. Now, here's the other side of this. We want to start removing affection suckers, right? So if there are things that stir up our affections for Jesus, there are things that remove or slow down our affection for Jesus. There are things that quench our affection for Jesus. Let me read this real quick. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard it said, you will not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Listen, for the Christian that uh, has, has grown up in the faith, has begun to mature, God has been doing transformative and, and sanctifying work in your life, for most of us, The thing that begins to remove the affection for Jesus, that begins to quench the fire for Jesus, is not a sinful thing when it begins. It's a morally neutral thing. It's just a thing. In Jesus' example, the eye is not a bad thing until it causes you to sin. 
The right hand is not a, your right hand's a good thing. I'm right-handed. Until it causes you to sin. There are so many morally neutral things, not good, not bad, just things, that you and I will turn in to idols. We will turn them into things that begin to suck our energy and our passion and our affection out of us and instead of giving it to Jesus and in that pursuit so that we can thrive, we'll give it to something that's, well, it's vanity. It's useless. It's not good. It's not bad. It's nothing. What are mine? Let's talk about them. I have pursuits that if I'm not careful, it starts like maybe an okay thing, maybe not, maybe it's just a neutral thing, but very, very quickly, it it will lead me into quenching my desire for Christ, and I will find myself back in the state of wondering why life feels so hopeless and unfulfilling. One of them for me, any pretty addictive, which means it's good, video game, at some point, we'll just, I'm like, why am I spending so many hours doing this? There's nothing wrong with it when it started, but it began to suck out my time and my energy and my focus and my pursuit. And next thing you know, I'm wondering why things don't feel right. Here's the second one for me. Politics. The entire subject, I don't even care where you apply it. Politics. All of it. Sounds like that's just me. Um, We'll move on. Another one for me, starting new companies. I gotta really stop doing that. I love new ideas, and then the next thing you know, I'm like, I should say, and I'm like, why why would I put my time and effort into this? I I gotta cut that out. Too much television. Television's not a bad thing. Television's a morally neutral thing. You'd be watching great shows. I love this show called Alone where they put people out in the middle of the wilderness and make them survive for as long as they can without talking to anybody to see who goes crazy first. It's amazing. (laughs) I've watched eight seasons. Morally neutral things that if I'm not careful, will begin to take away, will begin to sap my affection for Jesus. Here's another one for me eating poorly. If I start eating poorly, the first day, not a big deal. The second day, not a big deal. Year two, (laughs) what I've learned about my life, I don't have the luxury of not living on a schedule. I don't have the luxury of not living on a, a fairly prescribed diet in terms of what I can have. I don't have the luxury of not having a pretty regimented exercise schedule. That doesn't mean you have to have it. I've recognized in my life that if I don't do those things, then in some period of time, maybe it's a short period of time, maybe it's a longer period of time, I will find myself having drifted away from having any real affection and passion for Jesus, and I'm merely surviving, and I don't want to just survive, I want more. And you have some of these things too. You have things in your life that will sap your affection for Jesus. It will suck it right out of the room over time if you tolerate it. And what Jesus would say is even morally neutral things, even good things like your eye or your hand, they're not even worth having if they would pull you away from Christ. 
And therefore, not because there's any rule that I can't watch TV, not that there's any rule about video games, but because I want more, I'm going to do these self-inventory where if I don't feel right, I'm going to ask the question, why don't I? And it has to do with the vine and the branches. And if I find myself disconnected from Christ, that means I'm not bearing fruit. That means I'm worthless and feeling shriveled up. And I got to do whatever I can to get back to him. And, and nothing else matters. What are yours? Are you willing to get rid of them? That's the real question, isn't it? That you're faced with, that I'm faced with every single time? Because here's the problem with being willing to get rid of them. In a vacuum, if you ask me, would you ever get rid of that? I'd be like, sure. If you said, will you get rid of that today? Just got quiet in here, didn't it? Uh, I think the term is, pastor, you went from preaching to meddling really fast. Right? But what's the question? The question is, Jesus asking us, am I worth more than that? Not, not just intellectually, you know, salvation and I want to go to heaven. Is life trusting me that might end up in the inner prison in stocks worth more than that? Is it worth more? Because we prove that with our actions, not simply with our promises. Because Christians are really good promisers. I forget the theologian that said, if you want to see a really good liar, just go to a church singing on Sunday morning. What are yours? What are yours? Here's the three points. I want to I come back to you. And I want to read through these just one more time so you remember them. Number one, thriving is not a thing that happens to you. If you're waiting around for it to happen to you, you, this is the wrong formula. It is a thing that happens in you as Jesus does work inside of you. And our participation in that process is twofold. Number one, What are the things that will stir up my affection for Jesus? Let me put those in my life. Let me do those things. Let me put myself in the community of people that stir me up. Let me put myself in the situations that stir me up. Let me put myself in the environments that stir me up. Let me do the activities that I know will stir up my affection for Jesus. And then simultaneously, there's the other side which is there are things in my life, my life right now as a pastor that will suck out the affection for Jesus. It will leave me feeling empty and shriveled and powerless and hopeless. And, and, and yet in my mind, intellectually, I know the scriptures. I know that he's good. I know that he's a great God. I know that he has good things for me. How come I feel this way? Because I'm tolerating things that have pulled away my energy, my focus, my attention, my affection for Jesus. I've allowed them into my life. And if I really love him, when, he, when the spirit works in my life and it shows me that thing, I'm going to cut it out and I'm going to throw it away. Not because it's bad, because he's worth it. Listen to me. Not because it's bad, because he's worth it. Listen, there's a thing. You're thinking about it because the spirit's been on you for a long time about this thing. And your justification for why you've allowed it is that it's not bad. It's not sinful. I agree. Now listen to me. 
The reason it keeps coming up in your mind is the Holy Spirit's like, it's not bad, but he's worth it. It's not bad, but he's worth more. I want more from this Christian life. It was never intended to be boring and comfortable and routine. That's none of the stories we ever get in the Bible. It's wild and exotic and exhilarating and exciting. It's not comfortable. But I'm not asking for comfort. I'm asking for vibrant abundance. I'm asking for joy and peace and contentment and fearlessness. And the best part is for any of you that have put your faith in Christ, that at some point in your life, you've tasted that already. So you know what I'm talking about. It's there for us when we choose to get rid of the trappings of life that want to hold us down, the the noise in our life that wants to continue to vie for our affection and our attention. And we strive after Jesus and say, you're worth it. You're worth it. Number one, then, as we close, do you know him? If you're listening online today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you into something that is both simultaneously scary and amazing at the same time. It is a life unlike anything you've ever experienced or led. It is a drink that finally fills you up and leaves you content. And if you would like to do that today, our elders and our prayer team and our team leaders are going to be up here to pray with you and to talk to you about what next steps look like pursuing Christ. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Stop putting that off and chase after him. But for those of you who know Christ, and have just felt like you're in a low point? Have felt like, man, there's gotta be more to this. I just feel this level of dissatisfaction that I can't really explain, and sometimes I don't even know how to describe it. If you desire vibrancy in your life, I wanna invite you to a new way of living. One in which we don't measure things based on simply whether or not they're good or bad. We measure them based on whether or not they stir up our affection or they take away our affection. And if you find yourself in that place today where you've been wrestling with the Holy Spirit over something that you know you need to give up or you've been wrestling with the Holy Spirit over something you know, you know that you need to insert into your life, I want you to invite you to come up, whether it's to pray with an elder or a prayer team leader or to just come to the altar and just to repent and say, man, you've been on me about this for a long time and I've been ignoring it, but I can't ignore it any longer because I want more. I want more than simply some boring, get along, tread water kind of life. I wanna thrive. And that only happens when we are in, abiding in Christ. So I wanna invite you and give you an opportunity to come, whether it's to receive prayer or simply to come to the altar and talk to God. There is more to this life than just surviving. He is a good, good God. He loves you. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much that you desire for us to live an abundant life. 
not a barely surviving life, not a tolerating life, not a tread water life, not a meaningless life, God, a vibrant, abundant, overflowing, contented life. God, our desire in this place, God, is that your people would bend the knee to you, would be willing, God, to take the the things in their lives that they just don't want to give up and would turn them over to you, God, put their lives even further in your hands, abide further in you, God. We want to be a church that models it, that lives it, that loves it, God, that's so overflowing with the joy of just knowing you that people just want to know why we're so crazy. Thank you, God, for dealing with me, an inconsistent sinner who loves you some days and runs from you the next. Change me. Grow me. Use me however you will. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You move as the Lord leads you.